Hey guys, welcome to season two of the You Can Miss Me With That podcast. My name is Luther Okeo. As some of you know, I'm really excited to get the season started. Thank you guys for sticking with me for so long. Sorry for all the bonus pods, but I'm finally at a place where obviously I gave myself a, a deadline to uh, start the podcast, uh, at least season two. Either way, guys, uh, the, just to let, let you guys know, the theme for this season is for all of us. So I'm going to focus on 10 topics that affect all of us. And some of them are going to be either very serious or some of them are not. Or some of them that you don't even think that affect you, but really do. Either way, guys, for the first episode of season two, I sat down with Victoria Pickering. Um, she is the director of advocacy. Advocacy at uh, MOXA, which stands for the Metropolitan Organization to Counter Sexual Assault. And uh, we just talked about what her organization provides, especially in this time where there's been a huge rise of uh, at least publicized sexual violence with a lot of people, obviously with Me Too, with um, uh, our, the Surviving R. Kelly documentary, with all these things coming up and sexual violence really being in our face, I think more than um, ever before, at least definitely in my lifetime. So I, this is something I've been trying to set up for a while, and we were finally able to get this done. I think you guys should really learn about this organization and, and um, all the incredible things they do to help um, victims. And um, one thing, I guess, a little spoiler alert for the episode is to have this thing where it's, I think it's, I believe, I can't remember the name exactly, but just in case, or um, using a hypothetical example here is just, let's just say somebody gets raped. Um, Moxa send someone to the hospital if you need it and they just sit with you so it's just so you don't have to go through um, that experience alone when you're performing a rape kit or things like that and it could either they could just sit with you in silence they could talk to you they could try to distract you from what's going on but they provide that service 24 hours a day seven days a week and everybody does it Victoria does it even though she's a director she's technically a higher up she still does it and it's it's an incredible service that um, that they provide to people. And I just wanted to really highlight this um, organization and also answer some questions about um, sexual violence and um, things that I, at least I didn't know about. And I really recently started looking into that. I think everybody should know. Also, um, we just talk about what her staff do, um, how um how it how um like victims psychology and um the state and how what it takes for somebody to finally stand up and like report a sexual assault or anything like that and also the fact that sexual assault could happen to anybody it's not just women it could happen to me it could happen to you whoever is listening so i just really wanted to highlight those efforts also i want to apologize for uh some of the audio quality of the episode it's just that we had to do it actually really quick and um it's been snowing and incredibly cold over here in kansas city so we had um the heater blast uh blasting up in the background you can hear it but i just want to keep get full transparency with you guys and a new staple of season two um i know i floated the idea out in one of the bonus pods is the fact that you guys can now um call you guys can totally call the podcast so i'm instituting like a voicemail thing that you guys can call if you guys want to leave comments questions anything like that and i know that um i just want to be more accessible i also want you guys to affect the show more so just to let you guys know the the way to call the podcast voicemail 
and also you can text the the thing as well because i just used a google voice phone number is 805 yeah shout out to my 805 people 805-53-YCMWT which is 805-539-2698 let me let you guys know one more time because i'm hyped about this i'm really excited to have you guys call in and if i get enough voicemails we'll just do a whole uh episode on just you guys calling in and i'm leaving voicemails or text messages and i can respond to that so just let you guys know one more time the the phone number to call to leave voicemails for the podcast is 805-539-2698 or 805-53-YCMWT all right guys stay safe out there hopefully you guys really enjoyed the episode and really just look into um uh, Moxa and all the good work they do in the community. Stay safe out there, guys. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter and like the Facebook page. You know, you know how you know how the game goes by now. Stay safe out there, guys. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, season two of the You Can Miss Me with That podcast. My name is Luther. I'm here with <laughs> Victoria. I just I, we literally just I just practiced it. Victoria Pickering. And um, she is, uh, what is your title again? I'm the Director of Advocacy at Moxa. And um, I, as, as you guys know, I'm starting season two off here. And uh, Victoria was gracious enough to agree to this interview. We're trying to try to keep this to an hour because uh, she has symphony tickets. And, you know, I've never been to symphony, but I, I, I can only imagine it's great. So I'm not trying to keep her here this long. So, uh, Victoria, uh, just kind of, can you talk about your... Um, you talk about MOXA and what you guys do here in Kansas City? Sure. So MOXA is the Metropolitan Organization to Counter Sexual Assault, and we are the Rape Crisis Center here in the Kansas City metro area. We have been around for um, almost 45 years, and so we were founded in 1975 here in Kansas City, Missouri, and we have been providing services for those who've been impacted by sexual violence ever since. We provide, we have kind of three major departments and programs that we offer. We have services that are directly for survivors and their loved ones, and that includes our advocacy services and our counseling services, and I'll talk a little bit more about those in a moment. And then the third department that we have is our education program, and that's really a program that is dedicated to eradicating sexual violence and preventing it from happening in our community. So our education program is working with folks um, starting as young as age four, all the way up through 104, um, and trying to raise awareness about sexual violence, um, help people understand what that really looks like, make sure people have access to services, and then really looking at the societal issues that cause violence and using a variety of different approaches to try and prevent that from occurring and helping people to know what to do if they see those sorts of things happening. Um, So that's our education program. And then, um, like I said, we have two services that are more of our direct services and that's our counseling department. And we have over 20 licensed therapists on staff. They work with kids, teens, adults, older adults. Um, They work with survivors of violence, they work with their parents, their partners, their loved ones, um, and their goal is to help people down the path of healing. And so um, we work with a variety of different types of therapy. We do um, play therapy and art therapy with our kids. 
Um, we have a sand tray therapy program, which is a, a really fantastic um, trauma treatment. We use um, lots of things with abbreviations like CBT and EMDR and DBT. And, um, but the goal is really to find an individualized approach to help people recover after sexual violence. Um, and we can do that both in individual and group settings. And then our final program, um, which is the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart, um, is the advocacy department. And that's the department that I oversee. And advocacy is its a really broad term. And it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But here at Moxa, advocacy is really standing beside someone and ensuring that when somebody experiences violence and suddenly is bombarded by all of the different systems that can come into somebody's life and we want to make sure that they've got someone on their side and that's what our advocates do um, they are with people when they go to the hospital they're uh, helping people navigate the criminal justice system helping people safety plan um, getting resources accessing housing um, and really just knowing that um, while somebody is making sure that um, they can focus on their well-being, um, they've got someone who's focusing on reducing barriers for them. Okay, um, that was actually very impressive for me to hear. And made me doing my research into this. It, you guys, um, I know you guys come very highly recommended for people in my life. So obviously I'm just going to be sitting here asking you a very uh, just a little series of questions. Um, in terms of sexual violence, I know that that is a very big part of what you guys do. It seems like there's been a rise, I guess, in publicized sexual violence. We're talking Me Too, we're talking um, child, uh, child violence and things like that. Um, I guess for somebody like me, who I, I've never been like experienced in that or even done like that. So that kind of shocked me a little bit when really you guys have you guys have just been on the front lines the whole time. Can you, has that, since the rise of publicized, like it being more publicized, has that affected your job in any way? It has. So we've been doing this work for for decades and in some ways on a, on a personal level, I was so used to, you know, when someone asked me what do I do for a living and I would explain and they, you know, maybe were, would say, oh, that's so great. I don't know how you could possibly do that. Or I didn't know people actually did that for a living. Um, and, um, and then the subject would quickly change. And, you know, over the last couple of years, as people have become more comfortable having these conversations um, a little bit more publicly, it's empowered people to ask me questions about how I do my work. Um, and, and then on a professional level, we have seen people feel more safe reaching out. So when somebody sees strength and courage and empowerment of survivors modeled, um, it can empower other survivors. It can encourage people um, to um, feel safe seeking services. It can also bring back a lot of things that somebody may have um, experienced in the past. So. If I'm walking through my life and sexual violence is not a topic that is talked about openly um, in my workplace, and then I go into the break room somewhere and everybody's talking about sexual violence suddenly, as a survivor, that might be you know pretty upsetting for someone. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that there is a resource to be able to call and to be able to get support um, has been really important during this time of increased publicity. Um, so that's, those are just a couple of the ways that I've seen that have impact both, you know, 
in my personal life and in my professional life as we've um, kind of had this spotlight. Um, so in terms of like maybe the latest thing is surviving R. Kelly. I, I, I don't know if you've actually, did you listen to that? Episode? So I, I didn't listen to the episode. Um, I, I have watched, um, I'm not completely done with the documentary yet, but I have watched um, four of the six episodes um, uh, and, you know, been just really inspired by um, the survivors. It, I, it was very well done. It, it's one of those things. Um, I was, I, I guess, full disclosure, I, I listened to R. Kelly. Like, like like a lot of people, it wasn't like mainstream or anything like that. But to see the kind of, um, I guess, the power that he has over over these women and things like, and I know you can't, I know well, we talked off air, you can't directly comment because obviously every situation, every situation is different. But I wanted to talk the dynamics, mm-hmm. and especially I think his power. Let's say if I if I was in the same exact situation as R. Kelly, obviously I think his power is more than mine because of his. Uh, social standing mm-hmm. his talents and things like that and how the documentary really broke it down to how he'd get in trouble like when he had his uh, situation with that 15 year old girl mm-hmm. and the videos were everywhere then he'd like to release i believe i can fly right after and yeah. be able to play on people's dynamics like that have you come across anything like that in your time here? so what i have found is that people use a lot of different tools to influence and exert power over others and for some people it's the use of the tool of celebrity or it might be the use of the tool of money it might be the use of the tool of a relationship but when somebody wants to exert power and control over another person um, they don't necessarily have to be a well-known figure to do so um, but it can help Um, and so I think what I saw and what I see when we hear stories of people who um, have been harmed by people in positions of power is I see, um, I see a really common story. I see a story that rings true um, to the experiences of those I work with every day. Um, and I see a story of people who have historically um, been told that they won't be believed mm-hmm. and finding the courage to come forward anyways. And that's just spectacularly brave um, and a, I think a real um, a real inspiration for a lot of a lot of other survivors so uh, in terms of uh, I'm gonna play off you saying you won't believe you won't, uh, the survivors won't be believed mm-hmm. so obviously they've been with me too that definitely publicized and my big concern uh, I guess for me was me too was I guess for me really had me looking at women along with like I even I, I think I said this in a, in a podcast before which you are technically since you technically haven't listened I have this stupid thing where I want to get people on my podcast who have never listened either to a podcast or to my podcast so you're number three there's like a little tally I keep at home <laughs> well so, definitely listen to podcasts before yeah. I tend to fall more into the like uh, scare my pants off true crime kind yeah, of stuff I I I guess since I started this podcast, I'm definitely uh, diversifying because I, I did a lot of sports. I played football, mm-hmm. I did a lot of sports, but I tried to diversify. So just kind of go back to my question I, uh, or my comment was with Me Too, I was always worried about all these high profile people are starting to get called out, which mm-hmm. is great. It's great to know that um, I, um, I'm not a person like Harvey Weinstein can get mm-hmm. finally get caught. It's then you hear all these horror stories. Yeah. Um, of, of what he's done to when uh, he tried to do something with Gwyneth Paltrow and then um, Brad Pitt 
like comes up, like do it again, I promise you, we're gonna have problems. They hear things like that, but I'm also worried that what if somebody um, like uses that? Like, what if we find finally find somebody who, who lies, who tries to play on that? And and to me, it always seems like in, in, in almost anything that's kind of very hard to talk about or very like behind closed doors is that. Um, when you have somebody who lies, who uses their position, uses the movement to further their own agenda and lies, how does that really hurt, like, either the movement or, you know, it's like, oh, well, Susan lied. So how, how do you think, um, why would uh, Courtney uh, not lie too? Mm-hmm. So how, how has that affected your work having, like, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to obviously go and talk about any person in your case, but have you ever, has there ever been an instance where you're working with someone and it turns out that they're actually lying? So this is one of the benefits of my job as a as an advocate for survivors is that it's I mean literally the the role that I play is as a person to be there for people and to believe people and to support people through what they're going through. Um, and I love the fact that I have statistics on my side when I when I do that work. So um, data shows that um, the rate of you know unfounded reporting with sexual violence is equivalent to or lower than any other types of crime and i think the question always comes up around you know potential questions of, of legitimacy and reports um and my first thought is we never ask that question about when somebody reports their laptop being stolen how that's going to impact somebody whose laptop was stolen more legitimately or you know and it's it people are way more likely to falsely report a laptop being stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that experience of somebody, you know, uh, maybe committing a homeowner's insurance fraud or something like that, yeah. we don't see that as a reflection on somebody who's, you know, had their home broken into. Uh, we don't connect them to. We don't see them as being part of the same thing because they're not. And I, I look at sexual violence the same way. We know that um, unfounded reports are incredibly rare. Um, and um, not to say that there is not harm that is done um, uh, in all aspects of um, the systems that come into play, but I don't really see the two as being connected um, in reality as much as I see them connected in our societal view, and I think it's significant that our societal view of sexual violence and false reports we see those as tied together, and we don't see home break-ins and homeowner insurance fraud as tied together. It does always seem like the the miss the ones that are the, the few that are lying. Like one that sticks out to me particularly is Brian Banks. He was a very good high school uh, high school football player. Do you know mm-hmm. the story? Yeah, I do. And and it's just like that, and, and that affects me because I was I played high school football in Cowboys, and then seeing that and me playing football and all that. But then you have. You can easily pull up that one story, which actually obviously very high profile. But then you have a Harvey Weinstein. You have um, the lawmaker who just got caught. I believe it was kids. I, I don't know the story in particular, but you can just obviously you can just search mm-hmm. and you can see all these different cases. So I guess my I, I I I always wanted to understand why that's so easy to do when you bring up a great point with obviously with the laptop. I could say the laptop that I'm using right now was stolen when. Um, I left it at home or, or something like that. And it's crazy that people use, I guess, maybe it's not just, maybe it's unpopular topics like racism or mm-hmm. things like that. And also regarding racism, how does, um, like in, ter- in terms of um, like race, uh, 
statistics or anything like that. Is there an abnormally large uh, like let's say instance with, with certain races or anything like that? Or maybe unknown stats? Yeah, so um, I'm glad you brought this up because I think it's it's important that when we talk about sexual violence and recognizing that sexual violence is often used as a tool of um, I guess of you know, exerting power and control over another person, that immediately brings in um, the the possibility of sexual violence being used as a tool of oppression, and and that's the reality of the the world we live in. So we know that um, there are some members in our community who are disproportionately impacted by sexual violence. Um, black women are disproportionately impacted by sexual violence, which I think is a an important theme that came out um, and was more openly discussed after the, the documentary. Um, uh, sorry, I'm not yeah. They, uh, I don't know if I understand you haven't watched all of them. Um, mm -hmm. I guess spoiler alert for the people who haven't, the sixth episode really focuses on that topic, yeah. especially with R. Kelly's victims. I believe most of them, if not all, are black uh, black girls or black women. Yeah, the vast majority. Yeah. So it's just, it's they ask the questions that why, why don't uh, people care about black girls? Mm -hmm. It's a question that if, if you really watch it, you truly try to understand. It's something that I sat down and I was like, huh. And then immediately you just sit down and just look it up and it's kind of like, ah, oh, like it's like you're, yeah. I was, I, in terms of me, I was ashamed. So it's it's really kind of, especially as a black man, it's kind of like I'm hurt, I'm ashamed by just realizing that they're not as supported as they should be. Yeah. And I think for me, um, in the work that that we do at Moxa, we have to have um, conversations about um, not only the impact of sexual violence, but also making sure that everyone who's impacted by sexual violence has access to services and support. Because I can say, as a white woman, the the way that sexual violence has been portrayed, historically speaking, when I was growing up, as I was, you know, watching Law and Order SVU, and you know, the all show the will never go away. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I feel like a whole generation of advocates came out of watching that show when we were mm -hmm. kids. Um, but you know, if you look at, at the um, the way sexual violence has historically been portrayed, um, I think that um, we have seen portrayal of survivors as predominantly white women, um, even though statistics show that women of color are disproportionately impacted by sexual violence. So then, um, you know, it's important that as we're moving forward and we are um, seeing increased representation of sexual violence, that we make sure that that representation is accurate. Um, I think it's important that we um, make sure that the voices of um, all communities who are impacted by sexual violence, but particularly those who are disproportionately impacted, are centered in those conversations. Um, and I think that centering the voices of black women um, has been a long time coming. And um, I'm really proud of our movement on a national level to be making sure that we are not having a conversation about sexual violence outside of um, how that um, type of violence interplays with forms of oppression like racism, like um, xenophobia and um, transphobia and homophobia and things like that. So you, you, you uh, when we first started talking, you talked about uh, the courage of these women coming out. Mm -hmm. um, Obviously, it is something that you, you can watch. Law and Order SVU does a great job just to go back to that. But you can watch even the documentary or anything just to know, to realize 
or to finally have the courage to kind of stand up for yourself, which is a shame that that is taken away from a person, whether they be um, a woman or a man, a child. Um, can you just talk about, um, I guess, maybe the mindset or the courage that it takes or what what steps does a person have to like take themselves? Because, I mean, the, the easiest one that I, I guess parallel I can use is when obviously somebody's being abused, mm-hmm. uh, a woman or a man in a relationship is being abused, and then they just keep going back. And then eventually, like if you watch like a movie or something, eventually like right at the end of the movie, like I'm done. And then that's when they finally, can you just talk about that? I guess that mindset, that process that a person has to go through. So I think I'm going to kind of cut your question into two. One, you know, kind of about coming forward and speaking out about, um, you know, using a survivor's voice to to tell their own story. Um, And then kind of I'll come back to the uh, sort of abusive relationship question. But I think when we talk about the courage of survivor stories, um, I want to start all of that with also saying it takes a, a lot of courage to be a survivor of violence general whether that's something that someone experiences in isolation where they never tell anyone about what happened um, that takes a lot of courage telling loved ones takes a lot of courage Um, and by no means do I think that um, someone is more courageous for putting their story out in media or social media or um, reporting versus non-reporting because just surviving takes courage Um, and I want to honor that um, because I think when we make decisions about coming forward and, and reporting and telling our story, there's also a lot of things behind that that are taken into consideration. So people are making safety determinations. People are making determinations about what is best for myself and my family. What's best for my children if I have children? Um, and so someone might have the same desire to maybe come forward or to um, share an experience they've had, but maybe it's not safe for them to do so. Um, and so I want to honor that as well, that there's no there's never any pressure to, to come forward if that's not what's best for you. Um, but in terms of you know the power of survivors' voices, um, I think there's always an incredible um, impact that people have when a process like sexual violence has occurred, this horrible act that at its core is taking away someone's choice and someone's autonomy. And when somebody can regain that, however that looks for them and take that choice back and take that autonomy back and, and be the expert in their experience. I just, I think that that has an impact on the way our society understands violence. It's really hard as a community for us to say, well, that doesn't happen in my neighborhood. That doesn't happen to people like me. If my best friend and my neighbor are saying, no, it happened to me. Um, and so this, the power of voices, I think, comes in forcing everyone to acknowledge that this is a universal problem and it, we can't walk through this world without being impacted by it. If we think we're walking through this world without being impacted by it, it's because no one feels safe telling us about it. If I, I completely agree. If there's one thing the last few years have shown you is that I think maybe for the longest time it was outside, I guess one instance is it was outside the country with something happening in Africa, or it would be a very high-profile celebrity that somebody like you or me would never meet. Right. But with Me Too, with all these movements, it's like it confronts you face to face. Like for me, Me Too changed how I, 
I, I attempt to even talk to women, whether it is trying to get in a romantic relationship with them or just talking to them as a professional, as a person on the street, I, I, anything like that. So um, I think it, this whole movement has forced people to really look at it face to face because uh, for the longest time, yeah, you could just say, oh, that happened to R. Kelly and his people and whoever he interacted with. But no, it's it's something that it's now it's, it's it could be in your office building it could be at the grocery it could be the cashier it could technically now it could be anyone if someone like terry cruz who looks like terry cruz i mean terry cruz was a professional football player and his story to me i mean i thought of it as a guy like he's sitting there with his wife at some party the dude walks up and just grabs his uh private private in front of his wife mm-hmm. to have that kind of pop and it Mind you, every, it's always easy to say as somebody on the outside, oh, why didn't Terry Crews do anything? And and it took, I, I asked that question, and then I guess going back and thinking about it, imagine that um, in a way you're ashamed because that happened in front of your wife, you're shocked. Um, it's the industry that he's in. He knows that if he retaliates, he could lose um, a very lucrative line of work that obviously has served him very well. I mean, he's great on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and yeah. the whole Spice commercials and whatever the hell he's doing with his muscles. Um, but if that happens to somebody like Terry Crews, that happens to um, some, some of Kevin Spacey's victims and things like that, it could happen to anyone. That's I think that's what people still are really struggling to realize is that, I'm, I'm not trying to say it, it could be you, but it could be you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I yeah. remember when I I went to a training um, a few years ago, and I I always heard people say, you know, we just need to remember, you know, when we're talking about a survivor of violence, that could be your mother, that could be your sister, that could be your daughter, and imagine when you talk about a survivor, talk about it like it's one of those people. And I went to this training, and I I just. I was so grateful that someone finally said it out loud and the trainer said, stop it, it could be you. We don't have to value people because it could be your sister. Yes, we know you love your sister, but like, it shouldn't have to be your sister for you to show you know, respect for someone. And also, we need to stop saying it could be a woman in your life, it could be anyone in your life, and it could be you. Um, and, and from what we've known for, for decades in, in doing this work is that it has been people's loved ones and their families and um, and it's also been members of our community who don't always have support and families and, and people who you know think of them as, as the daughter and the, and the mother and the brother and whoever um, and it's I think it's helping that people are starting to be confronted and, and recognizing like you said that it's not about how big and strong you are. It's not about how you could defend yourself in a situation. It's about um, is somebody exerting power over you, either you know psychologically, physically, um, or just playing on that uh, that fear and that shock that can happen when something occurs that you were not expecting to have happen. Yeah. Uh, so, in terms of uh, going back to Mox's role, mm-hmm. have you had any? Um, let's just say you have uh, a, a victim come in to get to. A, use some of your services. Have you ever had uh, maybe like the offender or anything come happen here, right here in your office? We're talking maybe threats or anything like that. How, how do you handle that knowing that that could happen almost every day? Especially, I mean, I walked in here, obviously you guys have plenty of literature, things like that. You had um, one of your uh, 
I guess colleagues was working with you kids actually really incredible to watch. <laughs> I, I, I remind you of when I was young, I was playing with army men and things like that. Talk about maintaining that, that how that affects you personally and most of your time. So safety is a really top priority for us and we are so grateful that we are in a fairly um, you know safe building. Um, we have um, the building that we reside in at, at 31st and Broadway. Um, there are a lot of you know security features and things like that um, to keep us safe and um, we have we balance safety with accessibility so you know can we make sure that everybody can physically get into our building um, regardless of physical ability um, and so um, we have a lot of really dedicated staff here both in the, the facility as well as in our office who prioritize safety um, and we know the line of work that we're in and we know that um, when you work with survivors of violence every day as we do that's the entirety of our mission um, is to support people and prevent violence um, but that can impact your staff um, so we take as many precautions as we can to ensure the physical safety of our staff as well as the physical safety of those who are seeking services here um, you know we have doors that people have to get escorted through and you know my fun security badge that I wear um, but uh, I think another thing that is, is important to talk about is the efforts that we um, take on to make sure that our staff is emotionally safe. Mm -hmm. um, this is obviously, this seems like a job that as much as you don't want to, or maybe you just would obviously in premium conditions, you don't, like, it wouldn't happen that you take your, your job home with you. Because mm -hmm. I would be the first person to admit, I don't know, I, don't, I truly believe I cannot do this job. Yeah. And, and we ha we're so lucky here. We have a, a really great um, work environment. We have a whole committee at work um, that just um, addresses trauma stewardship. So basically, how do we how do we live in an environment where we work with um, trauma every single day, and we work with people who've experienced trauma every single day, and um, we don't pretend that that doesn't impact us. We talk about how it impacts us. We talk about how to recover from that impact. Um, we have generous colleagues who take care of one another and do little things like our um, our boss brought us um, Happy Valentine's Day bagels and pastries this morning, yeah. which is something that you know um, you might see that in any sort of office building. Um, but then we also um, have a generous benefits package that makes sure that we are prioritizing our well-being, that we get time off when we need time off. Um, and then as supervisors, we are responsible for looking out for our team and making sure they know they have someone to come to when what they interact with at work is scary or um, heartbreaking or joyful. Um, and we share just as much of that joy with one another as we share the heartbreak. Um, and in doing that, we're trying to make the work sustainable because our community deserves people who can advocate for survivors of violence and who can dedicate our lives to preventing this from happening to more people. Um, and so the least we can do as an organization is make sure that our staff are well taken care of so that the work sustains itself. Can you talk about some of um, Moxa's partnerships? Because obviously you guys do a tremendous amount of things. I mean, you went in for 10 minutes uh, just talking about um, the features that you do. And one of the, 
obviously the one that really stands out to me is anybody who's caught up in sexual violence or rape or anything like that, that you send somebody to the hospital to just, even if they just wanted somebody to just sit there in silence, which is something a lot of colleagues that I have, a lot of people that I have um, talked to about your services, that is something that I don't think you can ever put a price on. And can you just talk about maybe some of your partnerships or anything like that that help you guys do what you do every single day? I'm so glad you brought up the hospital advocacy program. Um, that that I think that should be blown up all the time. That that is incredible. That you, I mean, no matter what, that there's always somebody there for you if, if that's what you want. And that is that is so invaluable. Yeah, we we almost take it for granted that this is a service in Kansas City because it's not a service everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Kansas City metro, uh, so in Jackson, Clay, Platte, and Cass in Missouri, and Johnson and Wyandotte counties in Kansas. It's crazy that this that many, right? I know, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. There's more than 35 area emergency departments where someone can go in, in the emergency room 24 hours a day and um, get what's called a sexual assault forensic exam or um, what's commonly referred to as a rape kit. Yes. And um, those examinations are provided at no cost mm-hmm. to the survivor. And luckily in the Kansas City area, when someone goes to one of those hospitals to get that type of exam, um, one of the first things that the hospital does is they call us and they say, hey, we've got someone here, can you send an advocate? And 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, we send an advocate. And that might be one of our full-time staff, one of our part-time staff, or one of our amazing volunteers. Um, I take it you've also had to um, do this as well, even in your position now. Yes. Um, So um, hospital advocacy is um, still part of my role as the the director of advocacy, and it's also one of the programs that I manage. Um, And for me, it's actually been part of my life for going on 15 years. I started as a, as a volunteer um, doing um, primarily crisis line and a little bit of hospital advocacy when I was in college. So I've seen kind of the different ways that this program um, has worked, but it's been in our community for decades where you don't go to the hospital and, and hang out there for three hours having an invasive exam alone. Um, you have someone, you have access to someone who will be by your side who will sit with you in silence or answer questions, explain the process, or distract you from whatever might be happening right now. Um, you know, and uh, we do this about 700 times a year mm-hmm. um, in the Kansas City metro area. So on average, twice a day, we, we go out to one of the hospitals and we respond. And, and we wouldn't be able to do that without our hospital partners. So we work with St. Luke's Health System, Shawnee Mission Medical Center, which is now Advent Health, um, KU Med Center. Even uh, um, Children's Mercy, which is mm-hmm. just across the street. Children's Mercy, Truman Medical Center, and then we work with a great organization called Coversa, which is a group of um, sexual assault nurse examiners who contract with um, some of the other hospitals in the area. Um, and I'm not gonna be able to read them all off, but um, including like Research, Belton, over the Park Regional, Lisa Medical Center, um, uh, Liberty Hospital, Lee Summit Hospital, um, some of those smaller hospitals that don't have a forensic program in the house. Mm-hmm. What they do if someone comes in for an exam is not only do they call Moxa to say, hey, we've got someone here, they also call Coversa and say, can you send a nurse? Mm-hmm. And so the nurse arrives and we arrive and we provide services together. Um, and all of that work 
is because the hospitals understand and, and recognize the importance of um, not only a survivor getting medical care, but also getting um, emotional support during that process. And what that allows us to do then is it also allows us to be there with the survivor um, if they decide to report to law enforcement. Law enforcement often will come out to the hospital and take the initial report right then and there. And that means that person does not need to be alone when they're reporting to law enforcement because no matter what your experiences have been in the past, no matter how confident you are in a decision about reporting or how not confident you are in that decision, um, it's always scary. <laughs> it's always intimidating um, to be in a vulnerable position and have someone in a uniform walk in the room. Um, and so having an advocate by um, your side can um, empower you. It can make you feel stronger. It can make you feel more comfortable in that setting. Um, it can be a person by your side who um, you know, offers the, the um, officer a chair to sit in so they're not standing over the victim. You know, mm -hmm. Just simple things like that that an advocate can do to help ease that process if that's something that a victim chooses to engage in. Okay, so as we wind down here, because I, don't, I know you, I don't want to make you miss your symphony, I appreciate um, that. <laughs> so, uh, so you talk about you talk you touched um, law enforcement, and if somebody does decide to report, so um, as as the victim or anybody goes through that process, what are the services that you provide there? So we can be with a, a survivor at any point um, while they're engaged with the criminal justice process. So when they go to meet with a detective to do a lengthy interview, um, we can go with them. They have to go to a lineup. We can go with them. Um, if they're seeking an order of protection or a restraining order, um, and then all the way through the process of potential prosecution. That process is really long. Um, it, it does not look like it looks on Law & Order SVU, where nobody ages between the time that the episode starts and the episode ends. Yeah. Um, I mean, that process between you know, the assault occurring and prosecution potentially occurring um, can be one to two years. Um, and so an advocate can work with the survivor throughout that whole process, um, both within the criminal justice system and then, then on um, needs that they might have outside of that. So does that mean, um, even as, a, as an advocate, that they, I guess they kind of know the ins and outs a little bit of the, of the uh, justice system? Absolutely. Um, when I do presentations out in the community, one of the things that I talk about is that um, I don't remember there being a day in like gym class in high school where they like pull you aside and they're like, okay, today we're going to learn about how to be a victim of a crime. Um, and I'm glad we don't teach people that. We shouldn't have to teach people that, but we sure as heck deserve to have someone by our side who knows what that looks like and not just how the system works from um, the investigation side, but really from the side of the victim um, because it's a unique position to be in. And there's all of these professionals who have jobs to do within that system. Um, and their jobs are not necessarily to take care of this person. Um, so thankfully there's people like us who that's literally our job. So um, I guess second to last question, um, why, why? Why come every day? Especially in something that, I mean, obviously I can definitely tell there are probably days that it just beats you down. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously you're heartbroken. Why keep coming every day? So for me, I, I know that this stuff is happening in our community, whether I show up or not, mm -hmm. and I get to show up. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, the, the heartbreak part of it doesn't go away if I'm not here. It just means that someone might be going through it alone. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where my motivation comes in is um, 
I get to be part of whatever that step towards healing is for somebody, either individually when I'm working with someone or supervising my team, um, I get to be part of the solution. And, and that keeps me coming back to work even when it is hard. Um, and, and also I've just, I've got a really awesome crew of people that I work with and um, who do things like the, you know, Valentine's Day bagels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, now the last question. So when you see uh, Moxa going in the future, how long, uh, just how long have you been with uh, Moxa? I've been with Moxa for just about four years now. Um, and I see us going in a lot of new directions in the future. Um, it's a very comprehensive array of services that you provide. It, it's actually a shame that I never heard about you until I actually started asking around to see if there's anybody who would be able to talk about this kind of issue with sexual violence and all this stuff with me because I didn't feel adequate enough to talk about it myself. You, I can look, but I'm just a 25-year-old guy looking from the outside who really has no training or experience in that area. Yeah, so I always tell people, because it's, it's really common for people not to have heard of us, yes. um, and one of the things I, I always say is, you don't know about us until you need us, and when you need us, we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, don't feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you know about us. Yes. Um, in terms of the directions that we're going, I think we are trying to make sure that the systems that are in place to respond to survivors are doing so in a way that is trauma-informed and um, actually matches the reality of sexual violence in our community. Um, And so I think some of that is going to look like um, what we do, um, what we're working on um, for April um, is uh, our Start by Believing campaign. And so to work with our community partners and members of our community to say, when someone tells you that they've experienced violence, Mm -hmm. you start by believing because truly your response can make the difference between somebody healing and somebody experiencing more pain. Mm -hmm. Just the way you react during that initial disclosure Mm -hmm. has so much power. Um, So we're working on the Start by Believing campaign. We had some billboards up last year and we'll have some new billboards this year to engage our community in that conversation about um, what do you say when you're in that position to, to respond and not just person to person, but how do our systems respond um, and, and how do we get uh, leaders in our community to make a commitment to saying um, that this is a start by believing city. Okay, so how can people uh, get a hold of you if they do need your services? Yeah, could be reaching this. The easiest way to get a hold of us is through our 24-hour crisis line, um, and it is 816-531-0233. There's also great resources on our website, moxa.org, and that's M-O-C-S-A.org. Any uh, social media handles or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, um, Moxa Casey on Twitter and on Instagram um, oh, and yeah, yeah, once, yeah, once, once uh, usually every Tuesday is when an uh, episode comes out. I'll make sure to definitely tag you guys in. Because um, yes. this is definitely something that I think everybody should know. Uh, now that I know we're running right up to it, uh, I want to thank you so much for getting on and just, uh, first of all, sorry for talking about this very heavy topic on Valentine's Day. Um, That's any, okay. Yeah, any uh, real quick Valentine's Day rituals? Like, I know I have a friend who they, they go to Gates every, every Valentine's Day. 
I like that. Um, so uh, my spouse and I actually got engaged on February 13th, 10 years ago. He could um, just wait like 10, 24 more hours? No, it was it was an urgent situation. Not really. He just, <laughs> he was inspired and... Oh, and, it, was, it would have been too cliche yeah. anyway. Right, exactly. Yeah. So um, we, yesterday was engage anniversary, uh -huh. um, And uh, so we had our, our little celebration. I know, right? And so uh, our Valentine's usually easy breezy, but we're going to go see... Um, the Kansas City Symphony play alongside uh, Casablanca on the big screen. Oh, no yeah, so we're pretty excited about that. Okay, uh, that's incredible. Happy Valentine's Day once again. I'm sorry for talking about this, but this has been, a, I guess, a long time coming to get this for us to finally sit down. I would love to do this again. Um, maybe we can talk about specific, like, maybe we can go more in depth into the hotel advocacy program, because that is definitely something I think more and more people will talk about. I don't know. I don't know if we could get into any stories. Obviously, we could tell without obviously revealing names or things like that. But I think more stories. I actually just started this thing called Story Time, mm -hmm. which is I actually did. I told my own Valentine's Day story to start, which is just 13 years old, very naive, and I discovered what the friend zone was for the first time. <laughs> so well, yeah. um, we have um, some volunteers who do. Um, Survivor Speaking, mm -hmm. um, it's our Speakers Bureau of Volunteers, yeah. so maybe we set something up and we can see if some folks um, who um, have um, offered to, to share their experiences can yeah. um, come on the show. I, I would love to do that, and um, it's, I think it's just something that I want to show people, whoever listens to this, um, that, I, like you said, like Moxa, you don't have to be alone, and when you need Moxa, they're there for you. Absolutely. So I would love to see if they, anybody's comfortable telling their stories, like I said in story time. It doesn't have to be all embarrassing or funny or anything like that. It could, it could be a story about how, I don't know, you helped a homeless man, how you, as a MOXA volunteer, you were able to help somebody go through a very traumatic process. So I'm, obviously I would love to get this done. And um, every now and then, let's let's get a story out. It sounds good. Something like that. Thank you so much, uh, Vicky, Victoria. Why am I saying Vicky? Oh, I go by both. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Vicky, Victoria, thank you so much. Enjoy the symphony. Uh, guys, uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at YCMWT. Go follow Moxa at Moxa KC. And Moxa spelled M-O-C-S-A. S-A-K-C at Twitter. Um, like the Facebook page. Hopefully, Vicky, I get you listening to more podcasts. At, at least, if there's any, if there's any episode, at least hopefully listen to the one where I reacted to Surviving R. Kelly. Because yeah. I think a big thing is how a lot of people are reacting, especially within the Black community. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's that's what I really try to focus on. But obviously, I would love to have you as a listener. But let's let's please, 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 let's do this again. Sounds good. All right, guys, stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.